to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday the 7th of April. A very warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. The minutes of the Federal Reserve's March monetary policy meeting show the US central bank is preparing to reduce its $9 trillion balance sheet by up to $95 billion of assets a month, starting as soon as next month to curb soaring inflation. The minutes also indicated that more aggressive 50 basis point interest rate increases are ahead. Health officials in Shanghai reported 17,007 new COVID-19 cases on Wednesday for the previous day, setting a daily record for the fifth straight day as the city of 25 million people remains in lockdown to undergo further mass testing. The government said the lockdown will continue until everyone is tested. The Kaishin China Services PMI plunged to 42 in March from 50.2 in February, the lowest since the onset of the pandemic in February 2020. Confidence fell to a 19-month low on concerns over how long business operations will be impacted by the pandemic and the war in Ukraine. Hong Kong's private sector economic activity slid further into contraction in March as lockdowns in mainland China added more pressure to businesses already under strain. The S&P Global Hong Kong PMI fell to 42 in March from 42.9 in February. That's the lowest since April 2020 and it was the third consecutive month that the index was below 50 and the steepest pace in three months. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Christopher Hoy, Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury. Before that, we'll speak with Personal Wealth Advisor Enzio von Feil. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Global stocks and government bonds sold off yesterday as investors face more aggressive monetary policy tightening from the Fed. On Wall Street, the S&P 500 closed 1% lower at 4,481. The Dow dropped 145 points to 34,487. The Nasdaq fared the worst of the major averages, losing 2.2% to end the day at 13,889. The Europe-wide stock 600 tumbled 1.5% in its worst daily decline in almost a month. London's FTSE 100 fell a third of a percent. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped 422 points, or 1.9 percent, to 22,080. The tech index slumped 3.8 percent, with Sunny Optical tumbling over 6 percent, Hua Hong Semiconductor down over 6 percent, and Alibaba sliding over 5 percent. On the mainland, markets reopened after a two-day holiday for the Qingming Festival. The Shanghai Composite was unchanged at 3,283. In the commodities markets, oil prices headed lower after the head of the International Energy Agency said its 31 members were moving ahead with a collective oil stock release of 120 million barrels. Brent crude oil is down almost 4% at $101.73 a barrel. Gold is unchanged at $1,924 an ounce. The global sell-off in sovereign debt accelerated following the tightening signals from the Fed, with government bonds worldwide on an eight-month losing streak. 
the yield on the 10-year JGB edged up two basis points to 0.23%, just below the level at which the Bank of Japan stepped in last week to defend its target to cap 10-year yields at 0.25%. In Europe, the 10-year German Bund rose three basis points to 0.6%. And in the US, the yield on the 10-year Treasury bond rose four basis points to a fresh three-year high of 2.6%. In the currency markets... The euro is trading at $1.09. The Japanese yen is at 124 against the dollar. One British pound buys $1.30.7 cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 24 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.36 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin fell over 5% over the past 24 hours to $43,100. Around Asian stock markets, uh, shares following Wall Street lower in Australia the SX200 is down about a third of a percent. Stocks in Japan have just opened. The Nikkei 225 there off 1.4%. In South Korea, the Cosby is down about 0.8%. And futures markets are pointing to a decline of about 250 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Let's go and welcome our regular Thursday commentator, personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Farl. Morning, Enzio. Good morning, Peter. Um, Let me start with the World Bank. It's cut its growth forecast for East Asia and the Pacific for this year because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and warned that the region could lose further momentum if conditions worsen. The Washington-based lender said yesterday growth in the region uh, is expected to expand by 5%. That's lower than its 5.4% forecast in October. But it warned that growth could slow to 4% if conditions worsened. And it said China's economy is expected to grow by 5% this year, down from the previous estimate of 5.4%. And the multilateral lender warned of a trio of shocks to the region, including the war in Ukraine, a structural slowdown in China, and faster inflation that could prompt quicker monetary tightening in the US. So what do you make of that, um, Enzio, particularly this warning of a trio of shocks? Is it valid? Well, it's valid, but as so many of us economists do, we tell the time by looking at somebody else's watch. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to accuse the World Bank yet again of doing that. That's what multilaterals do. They, They are very good at reviewing what's happened, but it's kind of 2020 hindsight. To add to what they've written, which is obviously good stuff, um, there are actually three things that they've not mentioned. One, the global financial crisis, the slacking work ethic, and the horrendous food inflationary effects of La Nina. Um, And these are three things that are very much behind all of this slowdown. I believe the great financial crisis, the slacking work ethic in La Nina. So those on top of what we all know about, which is the Shanghai lockdown, the Fed and Ukraine, I think actually the Shanghai lockdown and the Ukraine, particularly Ukraine, are actually overrated. So tell me the, about the global financial crisis. That was 2008, 14 years yes. ago. In, in what way is that now responsible for what we're seeing today? What's the link? The link is that, um, first of all, because of the just the crash that we had, global growth went down quite quickly. So people stopped consuming. Now, that's important. 
because mm. consumption accounts for about three quarters of global of economic growth, two thirds to three quarters of economic growth. Okay. Secondly, because of this slowing growth, companies quite correctly said, "Well, then why invest in plant, machinery, equipment, and in mines when, in fact, global growth is slowing?" So off goes, down goes the investment side of the equation, down goes consumption side. So of course, then up goes monetary stimulus. And up goes bottleneck inflation because a slight uptick in growth induced by monetary stimulus then led to some inflationary pressures because of these bottlenecks, Mm. because of less mines, etc. And so we're still suffering from that lack of investment then uh, today in many ways. I think so, because I know it's a little bit long, you know, long in the tooth. But the fact is what my mining friends told me that it takes eight to ten etc years for a mine to get up and running mm. so of course you have rises in in a lot of mining and metal stocks um and so it you can't it's like my wife recently when i built a fire at home she said please turn the fire off well for last she didn't quite know that you can't turn the fire off you can't turn a slowdown off just at the press of a button so i'm afraid these are still lingering effects notwithstanding and not saying that the fed isn't tightening not saying that china isn't slowing not saying that stagflation is there stagflation is definitely there but just adding to what has already been said mm. and how much is this were central banks to blame for where we are now because the the fed in particular was frightened of making the same mistakes that were made during the global depression in the 1930s when monetary policy actually tightened so they loosened monetary policy cut interest rates down to zero flooded the system uh, with liquidity was that in hindsight a mistake and we're now paying for that now no, I don't think it was a mistake because they had to do something quickly, particularly in democratically elected governments. You've got, you're paid to get votes, basically. You mm. get voted in if you're popular. So I understand that. But I think where the failure was is in the other, in the structural side of the equation, because remember, the, the Fed is only a cyclical tool. It is not a structural tool. Mm. And the structural stuff accounts, that's the underlying current. That accounts for a lot. And what's been neglected have been structural changes to middle-class education, which is a disaster, particularly in the U.S., which I know about very well because I went through it, um, but also perhaps in Europe, perhaps in Asia. So one is education, two is just innovative, visionary governments having a vision about where things are going, which one can't accuse the Hong Kong government currently of having. Mm. Now, you also mentioned slacking worth ethic. What do you mean by that? Well, just the, the, in China, they call it the lie down generation. It's the entitlement generation, which is very much the third generation. Let's not forget World War II ended 77 years ago. That's three generations pretty much spot on. And it's always that third generation that kind of tends to spend things. That I'm afraid is being sort of reinvigorated now. In other words, being, being proven yet again to be correct that view so and that i mean just even in hong kong where we of course live um just trying to get people to do things even the youth especially is it's it's just much more difficult than say even when i came out here 30 years ago but is it a slacking work 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 ethic or is it a changing work ethic in that first of all people's priority have changed partly because of the coronavirus pandemic 
A lot of people have seen, uh, you know, people get the disease and, and, you know, seen family members die from it. And, and they're, they're changing, particularly young people. They're thinking, well, hang on. We shouldn't be, um, living to work. It should be the other way around. We should be working to live. So, uh, and that's combined with technology, which is actually enabling, um, young people to work in different ways and to, um, you know, to, to pay more attention to other aspects of their lives. Is it a changing work ethic? Is that really a slacking work, eth- work ethic? Well, I think we're both kind of right, and I fully agree. It's good that you raise that point because, I mean, we went through this work to live or live to work bit in, in Germany in the 70s already when I lived over there. Um, so I, I agree with you there that there's a certain trepidation about going to the workplace because you might just get this horrendous disease. Mm. But I, I, I sense just in general when speaking with friends, etc., here, that the whole hunger, the, the need to work has just gone downhill. So, yes, they are working differently. We all are working from home, um, which is, frankly, a lot more pleasant. But um, at the same time, I think there's also just a little bit of the old L factor, laziness, that's crept in because we're, for instance, just trying to get people to, to do things here, like help lift some gym equipment in, in, in fitness centers, etc. They're just not the people willing to do this anymore. Now, you also mentioned uh, food inflation. Yes. Um, now, that's something that Janet Yellen uh, mentioned yesterday in her uh, speech before the U.S. Congress. She's also worried about the impact uh, that there could be a global food crisis. The World Bank um, has also raised uh, the, the World Trade Organization has also talked about the same thing, a developing global food crisis. Um, presumably, this is now being exacerbated by the, the war in Ukraine. Yes, but again, the war in Ukraine—it's it, it, exactly, P- P- Peter. It's it's being exacerbated by the war in Ukraine because, as I think we all know by now, Ukraine is a major exporter of grains, particularly to China. We all know that, okay. But mm. what is perhaps less known is the weather phenomenon. And this, I'm not being English here because I'm not English anyway. But you guys do like to speak about the weather. Um, the uh, the phenomenon of La Nina. La Nina is a phenomenon whereby the Western Pacific gets very, very cold, and that then, don't ask me why, but that then gives rise to huge storms in the Asia-Pacific, hence Sydney flooding and all that kind of stuff. So that itself has, has, has wrecked and, and wreaked havoc with the, with the harvesting cycles worldwide. Also, of course, then the war in Ukraine has wreaked havoc with the harvesting cycle in Ukraine. I'm just trying to add to what you're saying that El Nino, little sister, um, is then helping, has been very much causing this food bottleneck since about the middle of 2021, which is by the end. That was about when the bond yields began on their second leg up from 1.3% to 2.5% today. So what do you make of the response that we're seeing from the Fed now uh, to some of these issues? It seems to be turning more and more aggressive in terms of tightening monetary policy. Uh, The markets are expecting nine interest rate hikes of a quarter of a percent this year. So that means they've got to raise interest rates by 50 basis points at at least two of those meetings. And it's also talking about quite a fast reduction in its balance sheet as well. Why is it being so aggressive? I think it's it's repeating the mis- it, why is because I think it doesn't quite know what else to do with its very limited toolbox to get back to my old chest that this is a demand pull inflation which is what the Fed is good at in other words cut demand down then 
than less money chasing too few goods, but it's also a cost-push inflation, less food around, less workers around, rising wages, um, less materials around, less mining, less metals, da, da, da. So you have a lot of cost-push inflation. You can't control that with monetary policy. It just doesn't work. You're not going to build a mine just because the Fed has raised interest rates or cut them indeed. Now, the second point is that the Fed is very much in danger of going down that 1930s path, as indeed did Paul Volcker in the 70s when we had the oil price crisis because he jacked mm. up interest rates to 19.5%. I don't want to alarm our listeners. I don't think it's going to get to that. But I think that the Fed is overreacting using a very stale toolbox. It is not visionary in what it is doing. Okay, Enzio, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, That's our regular Thursday commentator, personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Feil. 567 AM, Radio 3. The time's coming up to 8.20, and I'm pleased to say we're joined now by Christopher Hoy, who is the Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury. Morning, Mr Hoy. Uh, morning, Peter. Thank you very much for coming on to the programme. Um, let me ask you, first of all, um, about the travel bans. And uh, we're seeing more and more evidence now of a brain drain from Hong Kong because of the dynamic zero uh, COVID policy here. Many financial executives say that's damaging our status as an international financial centre. And we saw that survey recently from the European Chambers of Commerce suggesting that nearly half of all European businesses in the city are considering moving elsewhere in the coming year. How concerned are you about this loss of talent? Mm. Um, I think we have been also closely uh, liaising with various stakeholders in the market and also how our uh, measures have been responding to their comment, comments. Because after all, uh, as you highlighted, I think COVID is a uh, global phenomenon. And also at the same time, uh, different jurisdictions are uh, resorting to different measures to deal with it. And insofar as Hong Kong is concerned, if you look at the um, recent streamlining measures as set out by the chief executive, like the reduction of quarantine period and the lifting of the uh, flight ban. I think all these are, to some extent, in response to the uh, situation of the COVID, yet at the same time to address some of the comments and also concerns that um, mobility and connectivity is somehow being affected by COVID. And after all, I must emphasize that Hong Kong is not alone, because if you look at how different jurisdictions deal with it, um, restriction of social movement and also people movement is something that is being adopted. But that said, I think in terms of the concerns you just right highlighted, we are well aware of that. And also the recent announcement of a series of streamlining measures, I must say, is very much well received and also uh, taken, uh, taken care of. The, the, the problem is, though, that even with the streamlining of some of these measures, and you mean the shortening of the, uh, of the flight ban, Hong Kong's still banning flights at the fastest rate since January. So we've seen just in the last week or so quite a number of them, which really disrupts uh, businesses, travellers' plans and, and, the, and the way in which they can move around easily. So it's still not very easy to get in and out of Hong Kong at all, is it? And, and that's causing a lot of concern for businesses. Um, after all, uh, COVID is a uh, global situation. And also, as you look at the number of the um, affected cases so and so forth, uh, we are still at a rather uh, high level. So I must say we still have to exercise caution and also vigilance as we adopt all these streamlining measures. That's number one. And number two, I would say, if you look at not just these measures per se, but also in terms of what motivates people to locate their business in Hong Kong, um, I think apart from this short-term COVID restrictions, 
governments. We also have to look at the broader picture in terms of what the opportunities and also what are the measures the government has and also the business community has embraced to have more businesses being done in Hong Kong. Because if you look at the structural benefits or the advantages of Hong Kong uh, being in the heart of Asia, yet at the same time closely connected with the mainland, I think all these structural benefits are when we will continue to stay. And this is something that we also continuously work on in such a way that we will continue to be an appealing place for everybody who wants to do business here. Uh, do you think, even though we have a lot of um, benefits and a lot of structural benefits, as you say, um, we, didn't, we need to replace these people that are leaving? Do, does Hong Kong have the talent pool to do that? Um, if you look at, like, for example, um, the uh, latest policy address and also uh, our budget, in fact, the word talent uh, has been mentioned more than 50 times. And that really highlights the importance that we attach to talent. Because after all, Hong Kong is a small place, it's an open economy, uh, and talent is our most important single asset. And that we need to treasure that. And insofar as financial services is concerned, which is our people interactions, that's even more the case. And that's why if you whole look at the whole measures that we have put forward in terms of trying to groom our new sector, fintech, green finance, sustainability finance, and also at the same time how to train our existing people in the current business, IPO, um, equity market, bond market, all these measures will continue to be strengthened in such a way that Hong Kong will be appealing to everybody who wants to do business here. Do you think we need to do more, though? Um, I know we've got to strike a balance between the business concerns and the anti-pandemic efforts, but... Uh, we could um, make it easier to travel internationally, even if we can't get the borders open yet with mainland China. There would certainly be countries overseas that will be willing uh, to have open borders with us. Should we move ahead with that while we wait for the pandemic situation on the mainland to get under control? Yeah. We are not taking a waiting approach because, after all, if you look at how our efforts has been settled in, in terms of like how we deal with the affected cases, how we deal with quarantine situation, and also how we have streamlined the uh, quarantine arrangement, as I just highlighted, and also deal with the school issues, yeah, and also the chief executive has already highlighted a three-stage approach in, um, in, in terms of relaxing these restrictions. We are not just waiting. After all, we are closely monitoring the situation and also have in place the right measures to deal with the situation at the right time. And um, let me ask you about the economy, because we had those PMI numbers yesterday. Our economic activity slid further into contraction in March because of these uh, lockdowns. The Hong Kong PMI fell to 42. Um, so it's the third consecutive month now. It's in, in contraction. And that contraction is accelerating. What can you do to try and, uh, if you like, rejuvenate Hong Kong's economy? Um, if you look at globally, I think we are not alone. After all, we are an open economy and what is happening in the rest of the world in terms of COVID and also uncertainties about your political situation and also the pace of the interest rate hike. I think all these is going to factor into how our economy has been performing. So after all, I think what we need to stay to the basics in terms of looking at the fundamentals of Hong Kong and also work on those which are the key pillars of the economy to get us back to stage. And on that front, if you look at, like, for example, the recent budget speech, uh, we, in fact, we have a whole series of uh, long-term, short-term and medium measures um, to rejuvenate or to revive or to inject new stimulus to the economy. Like, for example, I'm sure that uh, most people will be able to take advantage of the coming release of the uh, first batch of the consumption voucher. Mm. And also at the same time, uh, we just recently um, approved the certain um, 
profit tax and also per- personal salary tax um, arrangement um, to give back to the economy. I think all these measures together, among others, will facilitate a transition to a better economy going forward. And if the economy gets worse, and those PMI numbers uh, suggest that it is, will you consider more stimulus to try, try in the short term uh, to shore up the economy? In fact, the measures I just highlighted are not the only ones that we have contemplated. After all, if you look at holistically the whole suite of measures that we have put together, including, for example, the chief executive announcements regarding the uh, ESS and Promise of Scheme, and also the measures I just highlighted, and also a whole suite of medium and long-term measures, we strengthen the fundamentals of Hong Kong. I'm rather confident that all these together will be a strong impetus to our economy. And people are obviously also finding that this is all affecting the markets and their savings and their investments. The um, the MPF scheme uh, has lost uh, $76 billion in the last quarter, the, the worst quarter uh, now in, uh, in two years. Um, people are very worried at the moment, aren't they, about what's happening to the economy, uh, the decline in the markets that we're seeing here in Hong Kong, the way it's affecting their retirement savings and their investments. Uh, what, what would you say to them? Um, I'm not a investment expert and also professional, so I wish I was, otherwise I don't have to be in this role. <laughs> but, uh, but that said, I think investment is a rather personal matter. But that said, I think if you look at the global situation, like for example, the uh, geopolitical tension, um, the concerns about COVID, I think this is affecting everybody. And mm. that's why Hong Kong be in the national market, including our equity and bond market, we are not alone. But that said, of course, the usual caveat, like stay vigilant and also uh, being careful, I think will definitely still be relevant in different stages of your investment cycle. But uh, of course, it's, um, although this is affecting markets all around the world, as we saw from a Financial Times article yesterday, they were reporting that uh, uh, Hong Kong equity capital markets, equity fundraising here, has now dropped to the slowest pace since the global financial crisis. It it all seems rather odd because it wasn't that many months ago that people were talking about a boom for uh, Hong Kong, for fundraisings in Hong Kong. We were going to see all these listings coming to Hong Kong. Um, It hasn't happened. What's gone wrong? Mm. Um, I think we have to, first of all, uh, set things in context. Uh, If you look at um, not just the Hong Kong IPO market, but globally, in fact, there's a drop. Uh, like, for example, if you look at the uh, global numbers, um, the number of IPOs within the first quarter of this year actually dropped uh, 27%. And also, if you look at not just the number of IPOs, but also at the same time, the amount of funds being raised, actually, the uh, drop is more than 50%. So on that front, Hong Kong is not alone, because after all, uh, in fact, the situation in other parts of the market is uh, no different, if not worse. That's number one. And number two, back to Hong Kong per se, uh, right now, as of end March, uh, we are handling more than 150 active listing applications. So it is something that also is quite telling in terms of our continuous appeal to the rest of the world as a fundraising center. And thirdly, I think we are uh, sparing no effort in terms of beefing up and also strengthening our equity and also IPO market. Like, for example, if you look at the recent budget speech, um, the financial secretary has set out that um, we are uh, actively considering an um, inclusion of some uh, tech companies to be listed here in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, um, recently, just uh, 
beginning of this year, we have the new regime for SPAC. So all these changes have taken place and will take place, continue to strengthen our equity market, among others. But we're, we're sort of sort of fighting um, with one hand tied behind our back because the, the, these restrictions are sort of bankers have come and said on this programme uh, that it is damaging Hong Kong's reputation as a financial centre, as a, as a fundraising centre. So it is important, isn't it, that we try and get back to uh, normal life here in Hong Kong as quickly as possible so that we can try and restore Hong Kong's reputation? Um, I think there's a general wish that we can get back to our normal lives. Uh, it's the, actually the in, innate or the genuine aspiration for everybody, including mm-hmm. myself. But the e- next issue is how. So on that front, um, the government is asserting various efforts on various fronts to make it possible, including, like, for example, coming up, uh, in the coming three days, uh, the chief executive and also myself are encouraging, are encouraging everybody to use the uh, rapid test uh, to see whether they are infected and also at the same time to report to our uh, um, health department if that's the case. In such a case that we can have a snapshot situation uh, in terms of how the affected population here in Hong Kong is and it will be immensely helpful in facilitating to the next stage of our uh, anti-epidemic measures. So there's something that I also want to take this opportunity and use your channel to really appeal to the broader community that let's use the coming three days as a window of opportunity to test out and also at the same time to identify any hidden chains of infections that are still ongoing in Hong Kong. Okay, well, thank you for doing that. And thank you for coming on to the, the program again, Mr. Hoy. That's... That's Christopher Hoy, Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets this morning. Uh, in Australia, first of all, the SX200 down a quarter of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan off 1.4 percent. Stocks in South Korea on the slide as well. The Cosby is down about 0.8 percent. And futures markets pointing to a decline of about 250 points for the Hang Seng at the open in just under one hour's time. Coming up after the news, COVID updates with Jim Gould and James Ockerton. The weather forecast, fine, hot and dry during the day, maximum temperature of about 28 degrees. And it's going to remain fine and dry in the next few days. It's going to be hot during the day. It's already 22 degrees and it's 72% relative humidity. Time's coming up to 8.33. Here's Andrew Shrofsky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The government has released the latest batch of consumption vouchers. People using registered e-wallets, including Alipay Hong Kong, Tap and Go, and WeChat Pay will automatically get the full $5,000. Those who have opted to use Octopus can get $4,000 by tapping their cards. They will collect the remaining 1000 as soon as June 16th, provided they've spent the first installment. Lawrence Wan is in charge of retail property leasing at CBRE Hong Kong. He was asked whether today's release would have much of an economic impact. We'll get that story for you later. Everest Consultant says... Uh, definitely it will help um, the, the retail spending uh, atmosphere in Hong Kong uh, with the $66 billion, uh, consumption voucher uh, releasing in the upcoming Q2 and Q3. Uh, definitely it will help. Uh, however, uh, with the first batch to be released by today, uh, we will foresee that the effect will come out probably after the Easter holidays when the um, social distance measure is eased. Our apologies for the audio glitch there. A risk consultant says former Chief Secretary John Lee is the right choice for the job of running Hong Kong. 
Steve Vickers, CEO of Steve Vickers and Associates, worked alongside Mr. Lee for some years in the Royal Hong Kong Police Force. He described him as tough when needed, but logical and rational under pressure. He told RTHK that Mr. Lee's background as a police officer was not necessarily a disadvantage to running Hong Kong. I think what will be good about him, you'll not see a lot of U-turns uh, or or other difficulties, which frankly, without kicking anyone when they're down, the, the previous administration has, 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 has really let us down to a certain extent. You, he's quite a decisive guy. Uh, I think he, he does listen to people. Um, and, and makes makes fairly wise decisions. So uh, whilst we're not out of the woods yet by, by any means on on, uh, on COVID and what have you, I think he'd be very aware of the need to open Hong Kong up uh, as soon as possible. The United States and Britain have imposed new sanctions 